Amen. Good morning. Everybody warm? It's warm in the house of the Lord. Amen. Hey, listen, I got good news this morning. Romans 10, 9 says, y'all listening? Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God is raising from the dead, we will be saved. For with the heart, one believes God is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Amen? Amen. That's good news. Let's stand together and let's sing, all right? Sing it out. Amen. It says, shout salvation. Amen. Doesn't say whisper it. Hey, y'all can be saved if you want to. Shout salvation. Sing that last line. Honey. I don't know what that chord is. Just play it. Shout salvation, pull and free. to see you this morning. Let's take just a quick second and greet five people around you real quick. Greet five people around you. Let them know you're excited to see them. My name's Zach. I'm the lead pastor here. And I uh, would love to connect with you after worship, give you a gift, just to thank you for taking time to be here. You can, there's a connection card somewhere in the seat back around you. We'd love for you to fill that out and so we can connect with you and just thank you for taking time to be here. Then as well, if you have a prayer need or a prayer request, love to be able to pray over that. And you can drop that in the offering plate as it comes by in just a moment. And on that note, one of the things we talk about regularly here at Airline is that our giving is an act of worship. And so we want to continue in worship as we give this morning. 
So I'm going to pray and then our ushers will go out and let us continue in worship. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you for today and just this opportunity we have to lift you high. So God, would you be honored and glorified today by everything that's said and done. Help our minds and our hearts be attuned to you, to glorify, to honor you, to give you the praise that you are due. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
tries to roll over my bones when sorrow comes to steal the joy
last couple of weeks, we've just been involved with so many things that's going on in people's lives. People struggling, people hurting, people going through things, accidents, surgeries. And as I stand there talking to them and Doyle and I listening to what they're going through and they're hurting and, and all we can say is God will see you through that. That's the only hope we have, right? As believers, we have that hope. We're to rejoice in that hope and we're to be patient in that tribulation and we're to constantly be in prayer. That's what it says in Romans 12, 12, I believe. Just we're there, we're, we're gonna be there. But God can see us through no matter, <laughs> no matter what, even though death might come, God's got us, amen. I mean, I love this song. He will keep you.
just got to give you praise and say thank you, God, for loving us that much to keep us through all things that come into our life. Lord, we give you all the glory and all the praise. Thank you for the time this morning. Now be with our pastor as he comes to preach the word that you've given him. Lord, we love you. Look forward to this morning and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. you turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 2. And just as we dive into this, we see a rather familiar figure throughout the scripture. Now we all have people that we grew up liking or grew up idolizing. Growing up playing football, I idolized football players, especially linemen. And this time of year, I loved watching the Green Bay Packers play. Because it's like negative 37, and the linemen are out there without sleeves. And in my mind, that's a man. If you get cold this time of year, you just need a little more hair on your chest. Amen. I wasn't planning on saying that, but I said it. Um, so how do I backtrack from that statement? But we all had those people we grew up idolizing. The people we wanted their jersey, we wanted their autograph, we, we wanted to be like them in some type of way. And they were famous in our eyes. It's interesting as we read throughout the pages of scripture, we get to Hebrews chapter 11, there's really this kind of hall of fame that's there. And it's, it's got these familiar people, these prominent people. But even in that, there's a little lady that's mentioned in Hebrews 11. That's kind of on the outskirts. We don't idolize those that are on the outskirts. We want the starting quarterback's jersey. We don't want the fourth string guard's jersey. We want the prominent people. But you see, as we've talked about repeatedly, God's economy is different than our economy. The people that God uses all throughout the text of scripture are oftentimes the last people we would expect God to use. And that's the story of Rahab. You have this little woman who's on the outskirts. She's a Gentile, she's not of Israel. And not only that, the text describes her as a prostitute. She's living on the outskirts. And yet, she has faith in a God that is greater than her being on the outskirts. She has faith in a God that is greater than her past and previous sin and struggle, struggles, a God that is greater than all of that. 
And so as we looked at last week, as we started Joshua, we're starting to see now they're making plans and preparations to go into the land, to start the conquest. And Joshua 2 is an interesting chapter, and we'll circle back around to this idea, but I want us to focus on the concept of faith that we see in Joshua 2. And for sake of time, we're not going to read through the text. We're just going to kind of work our way through it and read it then. But there's four things I want us to see this morning from Joshua 2. First, I want us to see Rahab's faith by her actions. Her faith by her actions. Verses 1 through 8. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So here we have the scene is set. Joshua sends out spies, and this should bring us back to earlier in the Pentateuch as Moses sent out spies into the land. Joshua does the same. Now, we should not assume that these spies are up to nefarious motives. It's likely that Rahab had an inn of sorts that they go to lodge as they spy out the city. And then verse 2 And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. I want you to notice the irony that's at play. Verse 1, Joshua sends out spies to secretly spy out the land. They didn't even make it past verse 2 before being found out. So they're discovered. It says, then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as, as, far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. So the king sends word to Rahab, send us the men. Where did they come from? Where did they go? Now, just a pause here for just a moment. My aim is not to discuss whether or not Rahab was right or wrong in lying about the men. Okay, several commentaries go back and forth on this issue and talk about issues of ethics and was Rahab right or wrong, all of those. That's not my area of expertise. But to simply say this, that when we read Old Testament narrative, and really any type of narrative, the narrative tells us what happened, not necessarily what should have happened. Tracking with me on that? And so, for example, Old Testament narrative tells us Abraham had multiple wives. 
That is not an endorsement of Abraham having multiple wives. So I can't look at the life of Abraham and be like, I need multiple wives. One is enough for me. But the Old Testament simply shows us what happened, not necessarily what should have happened or what was right in happening. And so, but we see Rahab defend the men. Now, what's interesting about this narrative is that up to this point, we don't know why she defends the man. We're about to see in just a moment why she defends them. But we see Rahab's faith in action. That we see Rahab has faith to defend the men. That she wants to take care of them. She doesn't want to see harm come to them. And so it works itself out. You see, this is probably reminiscent. This is maybe why James quotes her. This is kind of the whole idea of the book of James that we worked through last year. That true faith is one that lives itself out. A true faith is one that there is external evidence of that faith. Now hear me, that's not what saves you. What saves you is not the external evidence. What saves you is the internal faith, but it works its way out. Even in Rahab's life, we're about to see her profession of faith in just a moment, but we see her faith is demonstrated by her action of defending the man, of providing for them. But we move from Rahab's faith by her actions in verses 1 through 8, but then second, Rahab's faith by her attitude in verses 9 through 14. And said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has, has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Notice what she says. You came here to search out the land and I know that the Lord has given it to you. And the people are afraid of you. They melt away because of you. That's why there's so much commotion in the city. That's why the king freaks out because Israel sent spies that there is this recognition of Israel. But why is there a recognition of Israel? Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Now, these two scenes we, we see in the life of Moses, of course, drying up the, the Red Sea in the book of Exodus, but then this battle that takes place in the book of Numbers with these kings that are mentioned. You see, word had spread about the God of Israel. Now, granted, this was 40 years prior. They wandered in the wilderness for a little while. And yet word had spread about the God of Israel. 
that the God of Israel was the one who dried up the Red Sea. The God of Israel was the one who took this tiny army of escapees from Egypt and led them into military victory. The God of Israel had done that. And word had spread to the people of Canaan. These rumors of the God of Israel. Now I find this interesting. That here they're in fear of Israel because they've heard the rumors of their God. And yet the entire time Israel is wandering in the wilderness. Why? Because they couldn't, they would not trust God's providence in their own lives. So here you have these Gentiles who are living in fear of the God of Israel. And the Israelites are failing to trust the God of Israel. Don't miss the irony of that. It is a sad day when the people of God have a lower view of God than those who are not the people of God. Because that's where Israel found itself. They had heard about the God of Israel. They had heard about the God who made the Red Sea dry up. They had heard about the God who had led Israel into these military conquests. And for 40 years, they were wondering when Israel was going to show up. In verse 11, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord your God. Notice what she says. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, in English translations, you see that capital L-O-R-D in the text. That's the translation for the proper name of God, Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton. It's the personal name of God. So their word has spread. And somewhere along the way, she's figured out some more details about this God of Israel to the point where she has learned the personal name of God. She says, he is God. He is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She recognizes it's not a cosmic battle between gods, but he is God. He is God. And so what spurs her then to take care of these spies, to look after them, to see that no harm is done? It's this recognition that they serve the true God of heaven and earth. That this is her profession of faith. You see, how is God able to judge Canaan? He's able to judge Canaan because of the wickedness that ran through Canaan that we're going to be dealing with as we get further along into the book. But he's also able to judge Canaan because there was an awareness that he was the God of Israel. 
They weren't dumb. They had heard of the God of Israel. You see, by Rahab's profession of faith in God being the God of Israel, she finds salvation. She finds rescue from what comes. She says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that will you that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. She simply says, will you swear to me that you'll take care of us? Notice, it's just two spies that have come into the city. She hasn't seen the army yet, but she's well aware of what's about to take place. And because of what she has heard about the God of Israel, she is well aware that the army of Israel is about to move in. And that because of the God of Israel, the battle was surely going to fall on Israel's side. And the men said to her, our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So they make this promise to deal kindly, to deal faithfully with her. And so she makes this profession of faith, and we see this faith in her attitude pertaining to the God of Israel. Now notice, as we think about today, we keep drawing back to the book of James, that faith makes its way out in action. What we believe about God impacts how we live for him. If we believe in a God who is a genie in a bottle, that's going to make its way out in how we live. We will think of God as our servant, that he answers anytime I need or want something. Or if we think of God as kind of the loving grandpa in the sky, He's just there to give us a big hug when we need it. That's going to impact how we live. But if we look at God as the scripture reveals him to be, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, no one else like him, then that should impact how we live, right? Just as Wednesday night, we, we went more in depth in this that when we look at Christ and have our eyes fixed upon him to be that Christ-driven church, our minds should be formed by who Christ actually is. Yes, he is meek and lowly and meets us where we are. Praise the Lord for that. But he's also king of kings, Lord of lords. 
who's coming back one day on a white horse, as Revelation describes, to judge and make war. That that's my king. That's the king that we serve. And so if that is the king that we serve, what do you and I have to fear as we go into our day-to-day life? That's our king. And so this attitude makes its way out that she wants them to remember her. But then third, we see Rahab's faith by her agreement. Verse 15, then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down and you shall gather into your house, your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath. You have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So she she tells them to go the opposite direction in which the pursuers were coming. She again looks after them. But this promise is given that she will be looked after, she will be taken care of, simply as long as she stays in the house. Which, if we know what happens next, it's interesting. It describes her as living in the wall, that her house was connected to the wall. And what happens at Jericho? The walls come tumbling down. But even then, God protects her. God provides for her. So she reaches this agreement with them, knowing full well that God is going to do what God is going to do. She recognizes the God of Israel. But then we move into point four. We move from Rahab's faith to the spies' faith by their announcement. Verse 22, they departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. 
So I want you to think back with me. To after Moses sends spies into the land, he sends 12, and only two come back with a good report. But the other 10, they return back to Moses. They say, it's a good land, but there's giants there. It's a good land, but we're like grasshoppers compared to the giants. Surely we can't take it. But now the spies returned. and They say, surely God has given us the land. We see their faith play out in believing that God has already given them the land. And that they hear directly from the people of Canaan, the people of Jericho, that they are melting away at the prospect of Israel coming. What a difference some wandering in the wilderness can make in one's faith to go from surely we can't take it to surely God's already given it. So we see their faith. And so this brings us this morning to our central idea. And it's this, that God uses unlikely people and improbable moments to achieve his good plan. That this is what God uses. See, reading Joshua 2, I'll be honest, if, if I was God, chapter 2 would have been very simple. But God didn't ask me, nor does he care for my opinion of Joshua 2. And Joshua sent spies into the land, verse 2, and the spies returned and gave a good report. Boom, we're on to chapter 3. But chapter 2 presents us with a divine interruption, a divine inconvenience. The chapter 2, nothing goes according to plan from the spy's perspective. But it's perfectly going according to God's plan. You see, how often do you and I get frustrated with the inconveniences of life? When things don't go according to our plan. That surely I had this plan and this was going to work for it to all fall apart. Or that thing that just comes up that we weren't expecting that blows up our entire day. Wendy and I had it this week. Thursday evening going into Friday morning, the transmission in Whitney's car decided it didn't want to work anymore. And so I'm running around Friday morning trying to get some stuff done. I get a phone call. Hey, my car is not going forward. 
And so I run back to Lula, go pick up Sophia, take her to daycare, come back to the house, try to figure out what's going on with the car. Over a span of six hours, we're trying to get it to Hardy and get it taken care of, get the work started on it. And none of that was in my plan for Friday. I had stuff I had to do, Nelson. I had work that had to get done. I didn't need to spend six hours at Hardy Chevrolet, Clint. I love being up there. I love window shopping. Can't afford to actually shop, but window shopping is good. And on the way to pick up Sophia, I'll be honest, I was in a terrible mood. You didn't want to talk to me. You didn't want to be around me. I'm just sitting there going, this isn't, I've got stuff I've got to get done. And the more I've learned in preaching ministry is that if you're going to preach on something, you ought to be living that way. And if you're not living that way, God will graciously provide you opportunities to live that way. And so I'm bebopping down the road, pick up Sophia, and I'm sitting there going, I'm preaching about this Sunday. I'm preaching about when plans get interrupted and inconveniences happen. So I said, you know what? I'm going to just roll with it. See what God has in store by just rolling with it. And you know what, you know what happened? The car was still broke. There was no miraculous healing of the car. But sitting there in Hardy Chevrolet, I had opportunities to talk about Christ and church and have gospel conversations with people that I would not have been around had the car not broke. And who knows what's going to come out of those conversations? Only God knows that. Because you see, going back to this text, it's a divine inconvenience. Surely the spies thought their plan had gone haywire. That this wasn't how the spying was supposed to go. They were supposed to get in secretly and leave secretly and have this plan of how they were going to attack Jericho. And all of a sudden, it all goes out the window. But you see, God was at work. As the band comes back to the stage, God was at work. Because in this divine interruption, there was a little lady named Rahab that needed salvation. And because of this divine interruption, God meets her there. But you see, God was doing something more than that. Because you see, we read throughout the rest of the Old Testament, Rahab has a son. And that son's name is Boaz. So because of this divine inconvenience, 
God causes the plan to go haywire, not just to save Ruth or not just to save Rahab, but because Ruth is going to need the field to glean in. But you see, Rahab has a son who marries Ruth and brings her in. And they have a son who has a son who has a son named David who is going to be the king of Israel. The plan goes haywire, not just to save Rahab, not just to save Ruth, but the plan goes haywire to bring about a king into Israel. But you see, we flip forward into the New Testament. And in Matthew 1, we see the genealogy that's listed. You know, we, we like to skip that part, so-and-so fathered so-and-so, especially if you've got the King James, so-and-so begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so. But there's four women explicitly mentioned by name. And Rahab's one of them. You see, why did the plan go haywire? Why did all of this take place? Because God was saving Rahab. God was saving Ruth. God was leading the nation of Israel to a king. But more importantly, why did it go haywire? Because God was bringing about Christ. Not only did Rahab needs salvation. Not only did Ruth need salvation, but it goes haywire because you and I needed salvation. You see, chapter two is this divine interruption. And how often do we find ourselves aggravated and frustrated with God? because things aren't going right, because things are going haywire, because the plan's not working out. There are inconveniences that are popping up in our lives. And yet God is perfectly at work. You've heard me share it before, one of my all-time favorite quotes from John Piper. God is actively doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. But we find ourselves being frustrated instead of looking to see how God might be at work. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe life is going well. Maybe everything is falling into place for you. Praise the Lord for that. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're sitting there going, Pastor Zach, nothing is going well right now. Nothing is working out. Maybe you just need to find yourself at the feet of the king who is at work. 
Because while God may not be using you to bring about the genealogy of the Messiah, God is still perfectly at work in your life. And it may mean that you just sit before him for a little bit and ask God to help you trust him. Or it may mean that God has brought you to this point and you don't know him. But God has perfectly orchestrated the events in your life that what better day than today to trust him as your Lord and Savior. Whatever it is, just invite you to respond to God today. To trust him in the midst of inconvenience. And when plans go haywire, because he's at work. So if you want to pray, this altar's open. If you need somebody to pray with, Clint will be standing over here. I'll be standing to this side. But let us lift high the God who is at work. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. And God, all we know to do is to say we praise you. To know that you are at work. Even when it doesn't make sense to us. Even when things are going haywire. You are at work. So God, give us the faith to trust you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond today.
seated for just a moment as we wrap up, give a, a couple quick announcements. And so this week, tomorrow night, we have Ironmen. So we had a great turnout last time. So I encourage you men to come back, bring, bring sons, cousins, a neighbor, whoever you want to bring. Um, we'll have a great time again tomorrow night. As you can see, we, we've kind of started um, getting them out there. If you're interested in getting a new airline t-shirt, you can see those. Um, they're out in the foyer. And so I encourage you to get one, wear it to work, to the gym, um, wherever you wear t-shirts to, wear it there. Um, but you can see more of those out there. And then this weekend is D-Now. You've heard Taylor talk a little bit about it. And so one of the things we want to do, Taylor, any announcements before we pray? So keep an eye on the information that's going out on the list of things. So here's what we're going to do to dismiss this morning. Um, if you're volunteering with D-Now this weekend, would you just stand up real fast? If you're volunteering host home, small group leader, um, making brownies, whatever. Okay, so we got a few. If you're doing anything with D-Now, would you just stand up real quick? Okay, there we go. All right, so here's what we want to do. We want to pray to dismiss. We want to pray over all of our volunteers, host homes. If you've never been a host home for Disciple Now weekend, it is an interesting cultural experience. Um, and so we want to pray over all of our volunteers, host homes, small group leaders, and then as well as our students. And so I'm going to lead us in prayer. And if you'll join me in praying, um, we would greatly appreciate it. So let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. God, we pray as we go now, we lift up this weekend to you. We pray, God, for our, our leaders that are standing in the room right now. God, whatever role, whatever capacity they're serving in, would you give them the strength and wisdom to serve, God, to the best of their God-given abilities in that role. God, we pray for opportunities just for ministry for gospel conversations to take place. And God, most importantly, we lift up the students to you. Would you speak to their hearts and their lives this weekend? God, let them encounter a very real God, a God who has the power to radically change their lives. And so God, would the gospel be proclaimed in students' lives not just on this side of eternity, but would eternities be changed through this weekend. And God will give you all the praise, honor, and glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Host homes, please come up and meet with Taylor for just a second.